0: The sermon reading this morning is from Acts chapter 20. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to them, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in the public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only that I might finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he attained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to his ship. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning.
1: My name is Matt, and I'm one of the pastors here. It is great to see you all this morning. Um, I, I understand that there, we have some folks that have come from, from fellowship because your air conditioner broke and they had to cancel church. Um, we here are well acquainted. <laughs> with broken air conditioners and being hot in church. So you're in good company, welcome. May God bless you as you are here and then return to uh, to worship uh, amidst your community. We're really glad you're, you're here. So thanks for, for being with us. Another little uh, public service announcement. Uh, I know you all love me and I know you're all rooting for France uh, in the World Cup game. That is beginning in just a few minutes. Um, I am not going to watch it right away. I'm going to watch it later. So love me by not walking up to me after the service because you haven't been checking on your phone during the sermon and telling me what the score is, okay? That would be awesome. I would feel super loved by your omission of that information. <sighs> have you um, have you ever had to walk away from a place or from a set of people that were really, really dear to you. Uh, I was probably about 15 years old, I think I just turned 15, and uh, my mom and my brother and I got a call from my dad, he was in the States, and um, he, over the phone, told us that he had, um, after a long deliberation, decided to take on the role and the responsibility as president of the mission, the World Team mission, that we had been a part of for almost 20 years at that point and that we would be moving to the States from France within a month. Um, to say the least, I was uh, shocked, uh, not, not a bit, uh, a little bit terrified. Um, I was basically a French kid at that point, point. Um, and I, I remember taking that, that, that month and doing all the things you, you do when you only have a month left. You know, you, you go back and, and try to recapture all the special moments that you've had and, and playing that last game of ping pong with the Fillet with the brothers that we had played for years and years together and, and going and sitting on the, on the curve outside my house with Stéphane, one of my good friends, and, and talking about, again, once again, about the girl that he really liked that, that still didn't like him and that maybe, just maybe, this would be the time, the summer, where that would, would change but I think the, the one moment that was probably most significant to me or most memorable to me was uh, that it was the night before we were to fly out. And uh, and I went up to my friend's house, his name was Sebastian, called him Seb, and um, I went to his house and we'd had tons of memories there, lots of getting in trouble, lots of having fun. And uh, I remember, you know, embracing him, saying goodbye to him and, and walking away and, and making that turn from his house onto the street, a street I had walked like a jillion times from his house to mine, and just beginning to weep. There's just this moment of like, I don't know that I'm, I don't know that I'm ever going to see these people or this place again. And there's just deep sorrow and deep uncertainty. And man, my, my heart was full of longing and, and full of loss and full of uncertainty. Have you ever had to do that? Most people sometime in their life, they end up having to get pulled away unexpectedly from someplace significant. Maybe it's a place that's meaningful. Maybe it's a set of people that are particularly significant. And it, it is hard. Do you know it? I don't care if you're five when it happens, when you're 15 or you're 50, like it, it's loss. It's, it's real intangible loss. And, and, and what we see in this passage that, that Dan just read for us is, is that very picture. We have the, the apostle Paul, who, as we've been walking through this series in Acts, has been traveling and, and he's coming to the end of this third missionary journey. And, and he comes and he, he heads just south of Ephesus, about 50 miles. And, and he invites these, um, these Ephesian elders to come and see him. He's heading to Jerusalem where he's pretty sure he's going to get imprisoned or killed or both. And he invites these precious, dear people that he's planted a church with, that he's been teaching, that he's been working alongside. He invites them down. This passage in Acts is, um, is interesting because it's the only passage where Paul or any of the speeches or sermons addresses Christians. Everything else, every other passage in in all of Acts is a direct declaration of the gospel to people who don't know Jesus yet. Whether it's Jews from Peter in Jerusalem or, or Gentiles, like we saw last week in Athens, it's always a declaration about this is the good news of Jesus, which you have not heard. This is the only time where there's a speech or a sermon or a declaration that belongs and is directed at Christians. Now, much of what Paul will talk about in this passage, he ends up, well, frankly, writing later. He writes these letters, the epistles, to all these churches, and he'll hit literally every single one of the themes that are in in this passage pretty thoroughly. Therefore, this this passage is chocked full of all kinds of theological uh, insights, all kinds of specific uh, instructions to like to elders about how they're supposed to engage and care for the flock about, about how to look out and get a sense of what's happening on the inside on the outside. There's there's even this great verse about um, that you can now teach your children when they say you know. Jesus says, share, now you have a verse that goes with it, you know, that Jesus said, you know, it's better to give than to receive, that's your proof text verse for your children um, that can help them, so when they're, you know, trying to take advantage of each other, uh, but that, so there's lots of stuff in this in this passage, and frankly, we don't have time to deal with all of them, um, but probably maybe one of the, the central themes of all of Paul's life, maybe the... the the true uh, summation of his philosophy of life, of what, it, what motivates him and, and what his purpose is, why he does what he does, and, and, uh, and why does he do uh, all the things that matter to him shows up in verse 24. It says, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I would argue that this one sentence summarizes the crux of all that Paul holds to. All that God has brought about in Paul. Paul says, I do not account my life of any value, nor as even precious to myself. We would think that my, my life is precious. Everything about my life should be precious to me. He's saying, no. Not of precious to myself. It's not my life anymore. It's not my comfort. It's not my rights. It's not my safety anymore. It's not my stuff. Everything, my very life, is no longer my own, Paul says. It says here, though, he says, there's this, this purpose. My life is of of no account. There's this thing that, that God has told me to be about And he's invited me into this, this ministry or this, frankly, just this life. And that is to testify to the gospel of the grace of God, to testify. Now, automatically we go to, to say the words about this beautiful, gracious, amazing God. And that is true. And we've seen that a ton throughout the book of Acts. Paul will declare all the glory and the beauty of it. But but this word testify actually has in it, it says one of the definitions is to witness with a high level of self involvement. This is um, this is not an idea transaction. This is a declaration by Paul. He says this is what I've been doing. I'm I'm all in on this message. It's not just an idea I'm sharing. It's not just a concept that we're engaging with. My very self is in this. I am a part of this message. And what we've seen, of course, in Acts is Paul faithfully testifying to the gospel by everything that he's said. He's done so in creative ways, engaging all kinds of different worldviews with the good news of the, good, of the grace of God in Christ Jesus. But what I find particularly striking in this passage, what um, isn't the, it isn't the discourse of, of Paul. It's the disposition of the man. Uh, When I was in seminary, I took a course called Acts and and, um, Pauline epistles. And this passage coupled with second Timothy chapter four shifted the way I ended up reading every epistle from there on. I don't know about you, but if you've read epistle, have you read anyone who read an epistle? If you've read an epistle? A couple of verses of an epistle. What's your um, what's your experience of Paul? is he kind of your wishy-washy, average, not really strong kind of guy. He is like intense. He will tell you all kinds of stuff that you're through by his pen, we will hear and receive all kinds that I don't think we like to always hear. I don't always like to receive what he has to give. And so one of the things that's so pivotal is Because Paul is writing to specific times and and different dynamics and different churches, we're having to do a lot of interpretation. And what can be lost is what's what's the person behind these letters? What's he like? What What is the testimony, the testifying, not just of the words of the message, but of the life of the message? What's he like? I think one of the things that we see in this passage, we get a, This incredible picture, and Luke does so by giving us some narrative, and of course, Paul describes it himself, this picture of a person with an incredibly vulnerable and emotionally available heart. That through humility and openness has made relational investments that have yielded deep spiritual friendships. I believe it's essential that we view Paul rightly if we're going to hear the message of the epistles that he pens for God well. And I think this might help today. So this morning, we're going to look at how Paul testified to the gospel of the grace of God with his being, with his disposition, not with his dialogue. We're going to see this in three ways. We see a gospel vulnerability that made relational investments which yielded spiritual friendships. Uh, a gospel vulnerability in him that made relational investments, which yielded spiritual friendships. The bottom line, this is true because vulnerability is the pathway to influence and belonging. So a gospel vulnerability. Let me just, just hit a couple of moments of descriptors and of declarations by Paul. He says, you yourselves know how I lived among you. With all humility and tears and with trials, he says. Later he says, I did not cease night and day to admonish everyone with tears. And there was much weeping, Luke says, on the part of all. One of the things that we, we get in this, in this picture from, from Paul is that he says, how I lived among you. That I, I, was, a, I was a with you person and you were a with me community. I didn't just share the city with you. No, we, we were with one another. It actually reminds us of Jesus when he says in, in Mark, he says, I, I chose these 12 and I've appointed them that they would be with me. And so doing Jesus and, and Paul too says, the idea that, that they would be exposed to him and that he would be exposed to them. Uh, just, it's a willingness to be a part of a, a life, a life that is visible fully. And honestly, I don't think that we do with super well as a culture. I think, frankly, I think it's getting harder and harder to, to live among, to be a part of. I think one of the things we get to do now that we weren't able to do quite so well before is, is that we can curate our image. We can display what we would like people to think is true about us. We can, we can craft an Instagram story that tells a narrative that's not consistent in any way, shape, or form with the actual internal dynamics of your soul and heart. It's not, it's not actually clear at all what's going on in your, in your marriage or, or how your disposition towards work or your boss is, but, but there is a narrative, and it gets displayed. It, it gets shown to a world. We curate our image and one of the ways in which, and we can do this in person too, by the way, we're quite skilled, I'm quite skilled, but, but we do so primarily to keep us safe and secure. We avoid vulnerability by choosing to be safe and secure. We don't, we don't want to actually be with or to be in. C.S. Lewis, in his famous quote from The Four Loves, says it this way, he says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. Oh, it will not be broken, it will become unbreakable impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. We will never impact what we do not give ourselves to. I so said in a positive way, we, we will only have substantive marking impact on the people and on the context in which we give ourselves wholeheartedly and vulnerably because vulnerability is the pathway to influence and belonging. Listen to how Paul talks about how he relates to the churches, not just to these Ephesians, but, but here in, in 1 Thessalonians, he's talking about the church of Thessalonica. He said, let me just remind you, he says, but we were gentle among you, listen, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Now, we just had a grandbaby, and that's very pertinent because I'm watching my daughter turn into someone I did not know before. A nursing mom caring for her baby. That's, that's, how, that's how we approached you. Look, look what he says after this. So, remember, in the midst of all, Paul's going to say all kinds of stuff to this church. He's going to challenge them in all kinds of ways, but look at the disposition. So, being affectionately desirous of you. Sounds like love. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. We didn't just come and tell you this amazing news of the gospel. We lived out the gospel by giving you ourselves. You got us. You got the real thing. When I came to you, I came to you, Paul says, wholeheartedly, fully present, giving the entirety of what God had done and who I was. I was emotionally available. I was wholly present. You got all of me when I was with you. And by the way, it's not that Paul didn't have his moments or his tangible reality of being rejected and misunderstood, of being treated terribly, of being abused, of being ignored. I think that's one of our natural internal rejections of the concept that Yeah, there's the message of the gospel, but I'm not going to offer the vulnerability of the gospel. I'm not going to offer myself, I'll offer the reality. Here are some principles that you should apply to your life, now live well. Instead of, no, no, I I must offer myself, I must be part of the, I must be in it. And Paul's like, I've always been a part of the message. I've always been giving myself fully to it. You, You can't separate the one from the other and we find ourselves at times going like i've i just been i've been hurt i've been wounded i've i've tried i've 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 opened myself and it has not gone well people have disappointed me people have hurt me people have people treat me they've they changed the way they've treated i'm just not i'm not going there anymore people don't don't understand me so i'm going to i'm going to take care of me or maybe the spiritual version of that me and god are going to take care of me Not what Paul does. It's not what Paul says. Listen to how he engages the, the Corinthians, this this proud, wealthy, self-impressed church. Listen, listen to what he says. So, First Corinthians uh, chapter two verse three he says, "And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling." The NIV says, "I, I was with you in weakness and in humility." And <laughs> let's be honest. That is not the American way. I mean, right? That, that's not the Western way. That's not our way. No, it's, it's I, I came to you in expertise. I came to you with my experience. That's how, that's how I come to you, right? I mean, like, I came to you, I come to you on a Sunday morning with some Greek, <laughs> right? That automatically means I know more. That just, that's one of the reasons pastors are trained in that way. Came to you with my wealth, or at least my history of success. That's how I'm coming to you. That's how I'm going to bring, that's how I'm going to carry this message of the gospel and come to you in, in power, or maybe just in eloquence. No one comes in weakness and humility. And Paul did, Jesus did. Do you know why? Because vulnerability is the pathway to influence and to belonging. And, and, and Paul is amazing, because he takes First Corinthians chapter three, he makes that declaration, and then he says, "Oh, by the way, you want to know why we do it this way?" Verse five says, "We came to you in weakness and humility, so that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of, of God." You see, because if your faith rests on the power and eloquence of a preacher, your your particular subscription to a certain brand of Christianity or to a certain author or if your race, if your your faith rests on on the particular um, strengths you offer or the the ways in which you contribute to the the, the civic arena, the way in which you you work, the way in which you you politicize, if your faith rests on that, we're in trouble. And he says, no, see, here's the thing. We came in meekness and humility so that there would be no doubt as to who this is about. Because see. It's actually about him. Remember, my life is of no account to me. I, I don't consider my life precious to me. See, I don't have to be something because it's actually about him. And so I want to make very clear that when I enter a room, when I enter an environment, when I enter a relationship, that I'm coming with, with meekness and with, with humility, with, with vulnerability because, because we, then we know that it's the power of God, not the wisdom or the presence of man. I'm not a naturally vulnerable person. And honestly, the more I live, the more I meet people, um, you people, um, the more I'm pretty convinced that no one's actually a naturally vulnerable person. There's a misnomer there. I, um, I, I believe there are areas of our lives where we are, where we would think we're, we're vulnerable, or, or where I would say we are transparent. And typically it's like, well, I'm a vulnerable person. I talk about this and this and this. See? And, and um, ironically, that's, that's really much more transparency than vulnerability. There's a, there's a real difference between being transparent and being vulnerable. Let me show you. Transparency is me sharing with you something that is true or even emotionally sensitive, usually in the past, but that does not allow you to have impact on my heart. Vulnerability, on the other hand, requires me to invite you into a moment that I need help, that I feel insecure, that I feel shame, or that I just don't have it all together. In essence, it means that I'm lowering the wall of my impressiveness, of my defenses, and inviting people, inviting individuals where I feel weak, which is why typically I mean, let's use, let's use this context, right? 99% of the time when I'm sharing a story with you or giving you an illustration of something that happened, I'm being transparent. And, and sometimes it's like really emotional stuff. I've shared some of my past and my story with you. And some of you guys are like, whoa, that is some legit heavy duty stuff. You are so vulnerable. And the reality is no, that's not vulnerability because I'm not giving you a chance to speak into that. And, and I'm actually usually telling a story, giving an illustration of something that God has been working on. So it's not the same thing. Vulnerability is live ammo in the moment. It's how would I respond if one of you stood up right now, please don't, and, um, <laughs> and started, you know, yelling something about me or like, yeah, it's not true. Or that, that would be a, how I would respond. I would feel vulnerable instantaneously, you know, like when the fire alarm goes off. And you feel like, do, I, do we know how to handle this moment? Do we? There's a moment, right, because I, I feel uncertain. Do I know what to do here? Or, or moments I feel afraid or I feel shame. Do you know those moments in your life? Those are moments that we're being invited to be vulnerable. And this is what Paul's he's describing. He's like, you have to understand that when I'm with you, like you got the full-orbed picture. I I truly gave you myself. I was vulnerable in the moment what was really going on with you, and then I later on told you about it because he does so in the epistles. Tells them all about how this happened, and he, as I just read, there's a sense in Paul. He's telling the story. He's being transparent about what he was vulnerable about. See what I'm saying? In, the, in those in those verses, I read, he's being transparent about the vulnerability he had in that moment. I came in weakness. He's telling. By the way, I came in weakness. God's invitation to us is. There's nothing wrong with transparency, by the way. Is. To enter into relationships with the gospel in hand, living out of vulnerability. And so let me just say a couple things about vulnerability. First of all, vulnerability is practiced. Paul says, this is, you know, you know, he says, how I lived among you. This is not a one-time thing that Paul did. He talks about the tears he, he displayed. He talks about the way in which he lived. The, this is a pattern of life. And so vulnerability, vulnerability must be practice. That means that we have to choose it. We have to choose it over and over again, multiple times a day sometimes. You have to come to a place where you're saying, I'm not going to pretend or placate. I'm not going to just try and get through this. I want to actually allow the real me to be fully present here in this moment. I want to be truly available um, illustration Uh, about two and a half months ago maybe three months ago I uh, had lunch with Ross Walters and uh, he talked to me about a a book that had been really helpful to him and uh, it was kind of a leadership organizational stuff it like really shaped the way in which Valor Coffee which he and his partners run had kind of it's like down to the DNA of their organization and he talked about it I was like man this is really cool I wonder what this would look like so month and a half later, I picked it up, and a month later, I started reading it, and is that how you, life goes? And uh, and I'm reading this book, and I'm like, not, nothing is rocket science, right? It's nothing new under the sun, but I was like, boy, this is really encouraging. This helps me think a little bit differently about how, how we framed our organization, how we think about church, or how we think about why we do what we do, and, and it was it was really helpful. Can I just tell you about I don't know, probably about three or four chapters in, as I'm going like, wow, this is, this is really helpful. I suddenly had this moment. I was like, when did this book come out? I know this is maybe not a normal thing for you, but I, I looked at the front cover. 29 is when it initially came out. 2011 is kind of when it got popular. And I was like, oh, no, I'm behind. Like, see, I, I, I should have read this a while back. You know, it should be a part of that. I, sh- I should have known. I should and, and, I mean, it, it messed with me. Because Ross would be like, hey, do you want to get back together? I like to to talk and everything. And I'm like, yeah, I'm busy. But um, so we we get back together, and, and this was what I mean by we we choose, right? We have to do to choose. So sitting down with him and to say, hey, listen, Ross, like first of all, thanks for the recommendation. Uh, this was genuinely insightful and helpful for me. Like, I, it stirred some thoughts, and uh, I actually ne- I needed that. I needed some like some something to to kind of stir some new things, and and I know that you're in your early twenties, and you know I. I should know all these things, and I, but I just need to acknowledge that, like, um, I feel really vulnerable, having not known, not read this book, feeling behind, and and so even with you right now, I'm feeling I'm feeling just vulnerable, and uh, but I want to say thank you. In the midst of all this, I just want to say thanks, and it actually was cool and good for me, and hard and weird, and um, and it has to be practiced. Trust me, he didn't need to know any of that, right? But see, I, I'm not naturally vulnerable, and neither are you. And, and if we're going to be ambassadors for the message of the gospel, we're, we're going to talk about how, how we become these people. If we're going to be ambassadors of that, Like we must practice it because it doesn't come naturally. Vulnerability must be practiced. Vulnerability must be announced. We must learn to say, I feel really vulnerable to say this. But here it is. Uh, actually, Becky's probably helped me the most with this by m- modeling it, which we'll talk about next. And, and, and just asking me when I start getting in a bit of a tizzy, are you feeling vulnerable? I'm like, no, I'm feeling angry. <laughs> um, because anger is way easier to deal with than fear, right? Or un- uncertainty or insecurity. And so I, 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 those are vulnerable out for shame. I, I, I feel ashamed that, right, that I hadn't read that book, that I'm not a, a good leader would have read that book. And so I, I feel ashamed. So I don't want to bring that up. You feeling, are you feeling vulnerable? I, and, and for us to start recognizing and being the kind of people who say, I, I feel vulnerable in this moment. I feel, I, this is, I, feel ex- I feel exposed a little bit in this. And, and yet I'd like to invite you towards me. I feel vulnerable to say this, but I, I'm not sure how to lead my family. I feel vulnerable to say this, but I, I'm afraid I'm a bad mom. I feel vulnerable saying this, but I'm, but I'm worried that I might die alone. I feel vulnerable saying this, but, but this disease is messing with my faith, and I'm starting to doubt God's goodness. I feel really vulnerable saying this, but I'm not sure I love God right now. I feel vulnerable saying this, and this is the flip side of this. I feel vulnerable saying this, but I really love my job. And I happen to know that a bunch of you guys don't. And so I feel vulnerable celebrating and enjoying that when I know that's not true of you. Vulnerability is announced. It is practiced, it is announced, and then it is modeled. One of the things that I would encourage you to is you go back and read the Gospels and look at how Jesus relates to people. People to those close to him, to those not as close to him. Probably the, if I was going to say the the hallmark moment would be the, the, the Garden of Gethsemane. Mark 14 says, And he took with him Peter and James and John, and he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, out loud, announcing it, and he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here with me. And so this is, this is our Lord, who he's so distressed that he declares to the people around him, I want you to know I'm in distress. This is overwhelming. The thing that I'm facing is, is like nothing anyone could possibly imagine. Would you stay with me? Have you ever asked people for that Kind of proximity when you're that vulnerable, when you're that open to the distress and uncertainty. Like, would you, would you come over? Would you, would you come and just be with me for a while? Would you, would you stay? Please, please don't go. Would you stay? Jesus is saying, "I'm. Let me show you what it's like in the, in the crucible of the most intensity." He says. Let me show you, let me model to you what it means to be vulnerable, to be fully engaged, to not just be speaking the words of the gospel, to be living out the reality of the gospel. And therefore elders, staff members, deacons, community group leaders, parents, coaches that are going on the retreat, kids group leaders, we must embody the vulnerability of the gospel with the message of the gospel. We must model it to our children, we must show it to our, to our group members. So let me, um, let me say this as a, someone's gonna ask me this after the service, or email me. No one ever emails me, but ask me. We're not called to live out the same level of vulnerability at all times with all people, okay? There, there's wisdom and discernment and about what it looks like to be vulnerable at given context. There are times and places where where what is honestly going on in you needs to take a backseat to the reality of the vulnerability of somewhere else, okay? But that, that's a reality. Like vulnerability doesn't mean like I own the stage at all times with what's going on in me. That's not what this is. No, no, there's time where you actually must take the back seat, whether it's because of the vulnerability of someone else or because of the context that you're in. In the middle of a wedding, and if you're not married, you don't stand up and go like, this is really painful for me. You know, it's just, this is not the place. <laughs> but, but you're probably feeling that. And that's, that's not the place, right? But you should tell someone. You, sh- you should invite someone into that sorrow. You should draw people towards you We must be stewards of our vulnerability, no doubt about it. Because gospel vulnerability is powerful. It's an essential ingredient in us being the kind of message bearers and carriers of the gospel of Christ. And it's an essential ingredient in making relational investments, which is the second point. That Paul, like Jesus, lived out this gospel vulnerability. He says, I I gave you myself. Every time I went into it, I gave you myself that he, that made, so he lived out gospel vulnerability that made relational investments. Verse 31, this kind of um, relational investments, the first is he made investments of truth. And this is literally an entire sermon of itself, but let me just talk about this briefly. He says in verse 31, that I am admonishing everyone with tears, That Paul's movement, that his gospel vulnerability manifested itself in making relational investments. And, And one of those key investments, maybe the most central one, was that he spoke the truth to people. He told people the truth about themselves. He told the truth about himself. And then he told people the truth about themselves. He offered an investment of truth. And Paul told the truth to people. As he was living vulnerably with them and, and admonish is just the word to warn or to even to exhort to tell you stuff you don't want to hear which again are lots of those in the epistles but I, I think if we looked honestly at ourselves there's some of us that um, that are all admonishment and no tears and there's some of us that are all tears and no admonishment and we must be both if we're going to be faithful to the reality of what God calls us to, we must be both. One of the things that was really cool, I got the experience on Saturday at the, towards the end of our elder meeting was um, hearing from Jay as he's recounting some of the challenges going on in a particular family in our church and, and having, having been a person who is, who is holding up admonishing in truth also simultaneously began to have tears come down his face of longing, of entering into the reality and the challenge and the longing. And it, once again, made me love you even more. Um, we, must, we must make investments in the truth. And we must make investments of time. One of the things that we see here is, and, and probably because most of you, when you were kids, uh, you were in church and you were bored and you went back to the back section with the colored maps in your Bible. Come on, you know who you are. <laughs> and you were like, huh, I wonder how far this is. And you spend an hour. Um, that was that. Maybe was what I did. So you looked and you realized Paul went on these missionary journeys, and you kind of feel like he's like your itinerant pastor, right, or itinerant preacher. He's just kind of bouncing from city to city. That's not the case here with Paul. There's a long stretches, long stretches at Antioch, long stretch- sections at, uh, at in Corinth, but longest section here in Ephesus, three years. Paul invested himself, and he invested himself. With time. For three full years, he gave of himself. And if I'm honest, one of the things that I, I sense we experience is that we want, we want significant relationships, whether it's friendships or, or community experiences, and we want them now. We want them immediately. We want them to, to like really work for us right away. And there's just a long story to building spiritual friendships. There's a long road of engagement and of offering. There's a, there's a lot of vulnerability that leads to a lot of transformation and engagement and belonging and influence. Your first three weeks in a community group, you don't get to look at someone across and just be like, I don't know, you look sloppy to me, you should probably change your... You, that's not, that doesn't work, right? But three years in... You get to admonish a little bit, right? You're like, I don't know, wear some clothes. You know, something. you get to be a part of of telling the truth, but, but there has to be the long story. We're so mobile. I mean, I think I've met like three or four families in the last two weeks that have like just arrived in the last two or three weeks from somewhere else, Pittsburgh or elsewhere. And like it takes a long time to belong somewhere. It's a long story of engaging and offering vulnerability before We get to have the kind of payoff in relational investment. Part of living out of gospel vulnerability is investing over time and investing and being invested in over time. So be patient. Well, Paul, see Paul living out gospel vulnerability, which made for relational investments and those relational investments yielded a spiritual friendships. I think we can just look at the, um, if you take, you take uh, C.S. Lewis's Four Loves, which is a great book, um, and he talks about, like, there's family love, which is kind of like you're circled around you, and, like, you're kind of born into that, and then you've got, like, you've got uh, erotic love, or you've got a couple love, and, that, and that's, and that's like, kind of the face-to-face, like, you are my affection, and I am your affection, and then there's friendship love, which actually he describes very clearly as the one that's a lot of work. It's the one that takes some engagement, some in investment. Take some offering. Because in, in friendship love, what you do is you stand not face-to-face with that person being the object of your affection and you being the object of their affection. You stand side-by-side. And, and you have, as part of that relational dynamic, an object of great affection that you share. Which is why spiritual friendship is actually two people who, because they belong to Jesus, standing and looking at Christ saying, isn't he awesome? Isn't, isn't this the most amazing thing? Can I tell you about what he's been doing? Can I tell you about what he's been doing in my life? Because he's the object of my, of my affection. He's the object of your affection. And so, see, we, we belong to one another. This is why we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're, we're grafted in. we're born then again into this thing and you don't get to get out. But we're also born into this spiritual friendship that means that we stand side by side looking and delighting in, in who God is. And so, what we see on the beach, 50 miles south of Ephesus, is, is Paul and all these Ephesians Christians, these Ephesian elders, who have built a spiritual friendship over time, having invested themselves, having given themselves to one another with the singular object of Christ as the amazing, beautiful, passionate, zealous one. And so that when they kneel side by side and pray to him, there's... There's many tears. There's much longing. But I imagine, according to Paul, what he writes in his other books, much hope that they will indeed see each other again, though they may not see each other face to face right now. So my question to you is, do you have the kind of people in your life that have spiritual friendship with you, are you choosing to create and build those kinds of relationship by truly offering who you are with people? Not with everybody, of course not, but with, with a set of people that you're giving yourself to, that you're being vulnerable with, giving the real story, the full picture. Are, are you investing yourself in that? Do you have those people? My, my invitation to you would be on your drive home with your, with your spouse, calling a friend, asking your kids, talking to your coworkers is, hey, in, in what ways... Are you experiencing me being vulnerable? Like it wasn't too long ago, Becky just looked at me and said, I just, there's a context in our family life. You're not vulnerable. Like I watch you. Like walls, like I watch, you, watch it happen. What's that look like for you? What's, what's going on in the, are there ways, are there environments? This is a great conversation by the way to have with people who don't know Jesus. Be like, hey, listen, my pastor asked me this random question on Sunday and I'm just curious about what you think. Like, do you experience me as a vulnerable person? Like, how shut off do you experience? Not like, hey, by the way, I think you're kind of a shut down person. No, no. Like, in what ways do you experience me? Do you feel like, do you, feel like you get kind of all of me or do you feel like I'm a, a guarded person? I suspect that would a great conversation would ensue. How do we become these kinds of people? How do we become the kind of people who live out of gospel vulnerability, who, who look and say, my, my life is of no account to me. I, it's not precious to me. It's not precious to myself. I promise you it's not by just being like, okay, I got to stop this. this is, or I got to start this. I got to start being this way. We're going to have to have a vision of ourselves and of other people that comes to us from the outside, from, from someone else. See, we, we become vulnerable people, we become humble people, not... Not just by thinking less of ourselves or of thinking about ourselves less, which is the better version of the humility one, but by recognizing that there is one who thinks of us much, that there's someone who thinks fondly of us always. You see, most of us find ourselves saying, "I can't quite reveal. I can't quite bring out the reality of who I am. I can't quite reflect back to you the, 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 what it feels like to be in this situation or in this relationship because because of the risk it's going to take. And so I need to. I need to preserve my life. I need to. I need to protect my life. It is precious to myself. And the, the reality is, this is what the gospel. That's why it's called. it's what I'm saying. It's gospel vulnerability, not just vulnerability. What's the motivation? How, how are you going to be cared for when someone actually does stomp on you? Like. If you don't have the gospel, like, you're toast. You're going to be like, never again. I'm not doing that again. Let's see, when we see the one who made himself fully vulnerable for us, like, just, just picture the cross. I don't care what movie, what scene, what, but think about the cross. Think about what you imagine. You're like, is there a more vulnerable place? Is there, you're stripped naked. You've been beaten by the people that hate you. Everyone who should be on your side, the Jews are against you. The people should be recognized you are spewing insults and spitting at you. Could you be more vulnerable? No. There is not a more vulnerable moment in the history of the world than when Jesus hung between heaven and hell. There was not a moment more than that. And because he was vulnerable, he says, I now have you. There is no moment where you're going to be hanging between heaven and hell like that because, because I did it for you, and so it is well with you. Like, you can risk. You You can be hurt, you can can move in, and you can move in again. You can begin by offering things about yourself that you've promised you wouldn't because because he already went ahead of you, which is why the cross is what we stare at. We see the one who was vulnerable for us before us, and it gives us freedom, it gives us power, it gives us courage to practice. practice. It gives us courage to be able to not just bring the message of the gospel, which we must, but also to bring the person Ourselves, our very vulnerability, which is also imbibing and living out the very gospel of Christ. You must see him, the vulnerable one, because he is your only hope at ever being the kind of person who will give yourself away in this way. So let me pray. Father, thank you for, for the fact that there is... Um, there is a there's a picture and an imagery in in Paul that we, well first of all that we want that we long for that we there's a there's an absence of self preoccupation um, and yet a willingness to be humble and weak and low and and less and and all I know is that when I see him it just makes me think of you that you came and and you did not show up like you were something. Sp- Special, You actually came in a manger, you came under, you came low. You submitted yourself to death, to humility, to vulnerability by choice that we would be free, that we wouldn't have to hold our life as precious to ourselves, but that we could give it away without without being alone and being abandoned because you were abandoned for us. So... As we come, Lord, and we, we receive the elements, the body and the blood, would you, would you give us a vision of what it looks like for us to, to be imitators of you? Not to earn anything, but because you have done it for us, would you give us a vision of what it might mean to enter into the spheres and the environments you've given us with all of ourselves, that we would offer our all of who we are? Because as redeemed men and women of Christ, it is a good thing So Lord, give us courage, give us life, give us vision. May we see you and then we may glorify you side by side with spiritual friends to the praise of glory of your name. This we pray in Christ. Amen.